Welcome back, Beyonders, to Tabletop and Beyond. We are happy to have you here tonight with us. We have kind of a shorter episode. It's a recap episode of what we did last weekend at GuildCon 2023. So these are the games that we loved playing at GuildCon. Yeah. Um, for those that are not familiar with GuildCon, it's a local... Uh, local gaming convention that we have at our uh, esteemed co-host house, Jason, where we get together with some friends and we play our favorite games there. And every year it's different because we have different ones that we want to pull off the shelf and play. And today we're going to talk about what one, what one's our favorite one. So Jason, how are we doing tonight, buddy? Doing all right, man. <clears throat> little uh, feeling better, man. Gilcon started like, and I went in. I went into Gilcon with like laryngitis or something, and was losing my voice right at the beginning. It's just now starting to come back. Uh, so. You sound a thousand times better than you did. I know, uh, and I still probably don't sound good. That's that's the thing. <laughs> last night when I was, I was telling you earlier. Last night when I went to bed, like my wife and I were laying in bed, you know, right before you fall asleep, just kind of chatting a little bit. My wife says it's so good to hear your voice again because <laughs> she hasn't been. I just. Says, yeah, she was getting tired of your your uh, Godfather yeah, my, impression. Hey, what's you know? yeah, yeah. I can't even do it anymore. But it's like two octaves down, right? <laughs> yeah, crazy too, crazy. Yeah, I mean, I was telling you, like, you know, when I work, like, I I talk a lot of work, right? Because I interact with a lot of people, and uh, you know, I was up with like, I was up in front of like fifty to sixty people this week talking for several hours a day and i just had to apologize like hey sorry about my voice but uh we're just gonna do this you know and <laughs> push through it so you gotta do what you gotta do yeah it's what you, you do what you gotta do awesome well yeah it, we had a great time at our mm -hmm. little guild, guild con and we want to tell you guys all about it but before we get there jason how was your geek week i mean <laughs> It was full of GuildCon, right? And That's coming true. down from GuildCon. But I will say, I will say, I got my, and uh, this is the, uh, let's see if it'll show. Nah, not really. This is, I got the Walking Dead uh, RPG from Free League. It came in the mail. Uh, so I was opening that and, and reading that um, at my bedside. You know, I told you, I, I put my RPG books next to my bedside so that I can make progress on half of a page every night before I fall asleep. Right. right. But uh, but yeah, so I got that one. I unboxed the starter kit. Uh, like always, lots of beautiful maps, you know, uh, beautiful maps, good character sheets. Uh, I didn't realize this probably because I didn't. Um, it's one of those Kickstarter campaigns where I just like I just funded it and then I didn't really keep up with like all the announcements and stuff, you know. Yeah. But uh, the. Um, the starter box has. Um, uh, it has character sheets for the main people from the show, like Michonne, Glenn. Oh, wow. Yeah, those people. And I think it, there's actually, there's like three modes of play in this RPG. Um, and I'm going to get their names wrong, but there's survival mode, which is just like you dropped into it. It's almost like, I, I got to get the feeling it's kind of like a horde mode in an RPG. Okay. So I'm curious to try that. But it's meant to be like a one-shot. But it's actually more, they kind of say it's like a one to two shot, but I don't know. And then there's, of course, there's campaign mode where you're going to create your character and, yeah. and kind of go on. But the idea, uh, and then there's solo mode. 
as well. So it has a solo oh, mode, which, which will be interesting to look at. But the concept there, the concept of this whole game is that you have, you know, survivors, you have a haven, whereas like your base of operations, and you can kind of grow and bolster your haven over time. But you're obviously you're forced in and out of your haven to find resources uh, and, and bad guys, bad people that come and, and mess with you. So it, they're trying to stay pretty true. As far as I can see so far, they're, you know, they're staying true to the, um, the Robert Kirkman comic book, which was translated to the AMC TV series. So if you look at the book, um, you will definitely get a feeling that it is based off of the AMC TV series. Just recognize that that is based off of Robert Kirkman's uh, yeah. comic book, The Walking Dead. Uh, and they're, they're both of them are very, you know, at least for the first few seasons, were very true to each other mm -hmm. um, uh, on there. So I'm excited to dive into that a little bit more. Yeah, the show started to depart from the comic about season three. Yeah. Um, I, I think that it, well, it started to depart, but it pulled in themes from the comic. Like, um, what was, um, what was the, um, like Glenn, Glenn, you know, gosh, yep. it's like spoilers at this point. It's been too long. Like, you know, it's, yeah, no spoilers here. It's right. been too long. Right. But, uh, but you know, characters, bad guys that came into the TV series in later seasons were from the comics, but there is a lot of divergence in between to kind of get to that same point in the TV right. series. Um, there, so I'm interested to see if they've captured some of those people in the book here, uh, but I haven't done much beyond just crack it open and read the intro section at this point. Yeah, awesome. We'll I'm see. still waiting for mine, so I don't know where it is. I was hoping it would come today. Probably in the in the in the mail somewhere. Yeah, checks in the mail, as Jack Burton says. There you go. You know, uh, very good, very good. Uh, so, based on a recommendation that you gave, you guys gave at GuildCon to me, I started watching Invincible. Oh yeah, is the uh, kind of animated superhero series. It's on Amazon Prime, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's funny because it's like a faux DC world like it's it's not superman it's omni man and it's not uh wonder woman it's war woman it's not batman it's nightwing or something like that you know what i mean um so like it's all of your dc characters with just a little bit of twist on it so mm -hmm. they can do it um it's been great so far it's funny because it's like it's like watching a dc comic like movie you know and then all of a sudden like there's like crazy gore that happens like yeah, someone gets his gory. head smashed in and you're like, oh, so it's like the boys too. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, but interestingly enough, I don't know if you knew this, but that series was created by Robert Kirkman. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. based on, I think he had some comics of it that they turned into a movie. And many of the voice actors um, are uh, the voices of the comics in there. So Glenn is the main character, uh, Mark. Um, and then he's also, um, uh, he's also, uh, let's see, Maggie's in there as well. You've got like a lot of like Abram um, or Abraham, like he's in there as well. Like you just have a lot, like almost all the cast of The Walking Dead mm -hmm. was like voice cast in, in the show too. So um, kind of a cool little crossover that we have for our Geek Week here. Yeah. So, yeah, it yeah. looks like Omni-Man was originally published in the in uh, Image universe, which is 
Um, Image Comics is the, you know, Tom McFarlane started that comic book company and he's the guy critically, you know, probably well known for uh, Spawn. Spawn, Spawn, right. Spawn. I don't know if there's, you know, Image does, Image, just like all the others, is known to do massive amounts of overlap in their, um, you know, in their, in their stories and arcs and comic books um, there. So that it says that this was in the Image universe. Uh, But yeah, Robert Kirkman's a pretty good, um, pretty good storyteller um yeah you know, i really enjoyed the walking dead i'd never actually read any of the omni man stuff but uh maybe mm-hmm. you should check it out yeah yeah i think um uh i think the walking dead was great up until he started to go work on other projects and then it started to kind of get a little funky you know and i mean any show that lasts 10 seasons or 11 seasons or something like that will have its less strong seasons. Yeah. Obviously. Right. Well, it's interesting in the, um, I can't remember if it was Robert Kirkman or Brian Keene, who is a kind of an indie horror writer guy. Um, they, both those guys were talking at one point they, uh, and they both wrote zombie stuff, right. Uh, about Mm -hmm. how they didn't really know where their characters were going when they wrote the stories, they just kind of wrote the stories and then whatever happened next would happen next. So it was like, you know, in his comics, he was killing main characters off left and right. But in the (laughs) deep, excuse me, in the TV series, he probably had a little bit more, um, maybe a little bit more control to kind of build those lasting kind of relationships with some people, Mm -hmm. with some of those main characters, because that's what pulls in like TV audiences. Yeah, you yeah. know, like Daryl's a great example of that, right? Like in the comic book, like there really isn't a Daryl. Um, right. He's there, but he's there early on, and then kind of really isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but in uh, in the TV show, he's you know he is he's like, a staple. He's a staple, and probably became you know the main one of the main characters. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Very so, cool. Very good. Yeah, very good, very good. Well, um, I don't know that we've got a lot for the news tonight. Uh, I will say that uh, go check out Miniature Market, guys. Go check out Amazon. The sales go still check on. Out. There's there's a lot of sales that are starting mm-hmm. to happen for Black Friday, um, and so keep your eyes on some games out there. I have seen stuff that are like twenty five to fifty percent off, just kind of generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, miniature market did have their giant Halloween sale that had like 80 to 90 percent off on some games. Yeah, you know, I picked up a Arkham Horror the card game for eight dollars and picked up um, a couple other little games for like 10 and 12 dollars, respectively. And and you know, these ones were retailing for like 50 to 60 dollars, so it was a really good deal. So just keep your eyes open, it is the season after all, and and uh, it's a great time to, to get games. Yeah, if you're yeah. on the hunt for them. So just that. But let's talk about Gilcon. Uh, like we said, this is going to be a bit, I think, a bit of a shorter episode Gilcon. tonight. But um, we started Gilcon Wednesday night with a pre Invitation only night. In, in, invitational, exactly. And then our Gilcon went from Thursday morning to Saturday evening. Uh, we arranged it so that we had blocks of time, usually like 8 to 12. Um, eight in the morning to noon and then one to five and then six to 10. So we would set up different games that people were hosting like RPGs or um, more kind of evolved board games. 
uh, that people could register for times and sign up, just similar to um, what you would find at uh, Gen Con or other conventions and things like that. And then um, we also had a games library, which was kind of open anytime to anyone. You could just come by, grab a grab a game, grab a friend, grab a table, and start playing. So a lot yep. of gaming to be had for everyone everywhere. And uh, yeah, we wanted to share. Yeah, go ahead. Also had my arcade games. My arcade games got a lot more use than I thought they would. They they got a lot of use, and uh, you have you had added some arcade games from the previous year. Yeah, Street Fighter cabinet. So yeah, so I had a bunch of Capcom uh, side scroller beat 'em up, shoot 'em up games, which was fun. Yeah, it was great. So yeah, so there were times when, like at lunchtime, for example, people were done eating their sandwich and their game didn't start for twenty minutes, so they jump on the arcade games and play, which is a lot of fun. And it made me happy. I smiled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Smiled. You couldn't talk, but you smiled. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we, um, uh, yeah. So let's start. Let's start. Uh, we'll give kind of like maybe what our favorite game of the day was, or you know, some of our favorite ones. But let's start with Blade Runner. You were hosting that one on Wednesday night. Yeah, and um, it is kind of a max four player game. So mm-hmm. I was there. My brother Burton was there. We had uh, John Tross there and your brother. My brother uh, Brian, Brian yeah, was, was there. there. Yeah, yeah, so the four of us were playing this. So um, what did you think of Blade Runner? Uh, so, right. So RPG, Free League. So lots of good quality um, stuff that goes with yeah. it. So this is, uh, you know, I've always kind of thought that Call of Cthulhu was the investigation heavy game. Um, right. Urban Shadows was also is also one that can be investigation heavy, um, yeah. depending on the GM. But um, but Call of Cthulhu really is kind of built around an investigation system. And then we played Blade Runner, and Blade Runner mm-hmm. is like I don't know, like levels above, in my opinion, Call of Cthulhu in terms of yeah. like crime scene. I think at one point. You said it right. You said it felt like we were playing a CSI RPG. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not bad. Uh, just that's the kind of RPG it was. Like it was very, I think, very well themed for uh, the Blade Runner universe. There's a lot of great lore in that book that ties in, uh, you know, the time period, the late 20 teens yeah. when the first one occurs to up not quite up into 2049 but up to the 2030s um right. and what happens in between there with like the great blackout uh the assassination uh or the fall of tyrell the, the building of the wallace corporation um the uh the prohibition on nexus eights uh the reinstatement of nexus through nexus nine model that wallace brought to the table there's a lot of great content in there that really i loved i love preparing i loved sinking getting deep in watching the movies. Um, yeah. Uh, it is very, it is extremely investigation heavy. There's so much material to give out and clues and scenes and connections and areas that, that you have to kind of tie the clues together in the right place and make sure you give out, you know, give handouts out when they get to certain areas. Um, and, and one of the things that I think, you know, you had mentioned before is, in a lot of these games, you can just kind of roll to figure out, like, and when, when you get comfortable with the system, you know, all right, what skills should I use to help me kind of get unstuck, right? Like, right. I don't right. really know 
how to progress with this person I'm interrogating. But I know if I roll manipulation, if I try manipulation, then I can try to get some information out that might help with the case, right? Right. Um, but in <laughs> in this game, you'd go into a room, and it wouldn't be just give me an observation roll. I would literally give you a picture, and you would you and, and Brian would stare at that picture, and while I would go yeah. handle some other people for like five minutes, and you're literally trying to find the clues yourselves, your real life yeah. Earth selves, right? Uh, to say, okay, I want to ask you about this and this and this. And if you pick the right things, then I could give you more handouts or information about those things. So lots and lots of real life detective work in that game. Yeah, it, it's funny because I, I've heard this about RPGs in general, right? Which is like, well, I'm not a doctor in real life, so how yep. do I act like a doctor in the game? Yep. You know, like, or how do I know how to be a doctor in the game or, or whatever? Yeah. And the um, the idea of like, well, I'm not a detective in real life, so, you know, how can I be a detective in the game? Comes up a lot in a lot of different games because... Um, more often than not, a lot of RPGs will have a mystery element about it or a problem that you're trying to solve, and you kind of need to get to the bottom of the problem before you can figure out what to do about it, right? Mm -hmm. And so the interesting thing is, is that if you're not used to asking questions or looking at the the scene that you're in and and figuring out, like, what are the clues that you are um that, that that you need um in some in some games like you said you can you know be like oh okay well i know i need to make a manipulation roll or i need to make an observation check or something like that right that will help you this game seemed a little bit more on the well you better ask good questions Mm-hmm. thing you know what i mean because if you don't you're gonna get stuck really fast and i think it's just because it was much more like csi than yeah. um a cthulhu scenario and so uh, i think we found ourselves as players a lot of times being like um okay what do i need to ask and those that weren't really like ready for that found themselves just being like okay and kind of stuck in a scene yeah and, and i think yeah, uh so yeah. So this is a an important distinction here uh, because, you know, I've played RPGs at cons where the person expected me to have some f- form of skill, like the person uh-huh. I was role-playing, and it's frustrating uh, yeah. because, like, you know, I am not a level 13, like you said, doctor, like, like what are you going to do to staunch the blood the blood artery coming out of his uh, his leg i don't know whatever i would have learned when i was in doctor school uh, <laughs> right. on the space academy to be able to handle this problem can i just roll for that you know like yeah you know uh, and some of those things you know you have to recognize like it's just what you you roll the difference and, and a good gm will let you do that and it doesn't yeah detract from the experience like you're a doctor all right give me a medical check see if you can save this guy because you're the doctor of the crew all right let's do it here we go you know yeah Um, right in this game though if i as the gm i felt like because it was so focused on material around you asking questions and finding out for yourself if i had just resolved it down two rolls of the dice it would have detracted from the experience Right. Of grabbing that information and figuring the case out. Because you could have just walked in and say, 
All right, I found the guy in the back of the bar. Let's go interrogate him. Roll, interrogate, roll, interrogate, roll. Next thing you know, I'm just handing you seven or eight handouts. Right. And you don't have that same feeling of actually doing discovery of the thing. And I, I do think it did a good job of discovery, you know. And um, the interesting thing was is that sometimes, you know, like um, your brother and I, we'd be off doing something. And I noticed that my brother and John would get stuck on something and um, I'd be like, okay, well, did you guys upload that stuff in there? And they said, yeah. And then I'd be like, okay, here I am commenting on it because I couldn't like just go in and role play for them because I yeah. wasn't at their location. Right. So I'd be like, uh, what was the, you know, do we have a, the caliber of the bullet? You know, like, yeah. oh, maybe we should look for the bullet, you know, or like, yeah. have you asked about the description of the killer? You know, like that, yeah. that kind of thing, you know? Um, because they were kind of getting stuck on some of those things. And I don't fault them at all because it's like, again, they're not detectives in real life. Like right. these would be right. like, if you were a detective, these would be like natural questions. Also, if you were at the actual scene, like um, Brian and I had talked about this, you know, if we were in this person's apartment that we were searching, you gave us a picture of things to look at and we don't know what to look at. If we were in the pit in the apartment, we'd just be looking at the things. We'd just be like, What's this piece of paper? What's that thing? What's that thing? You know, and so we had to kind of play this cat and mouse game a little yeah. bit of like, well, is this thing important? No, it's just a normal book. Okay, well, what about that book? Oh, that's an interesting book. Here you go. You yeah. know, and and like, here's the clue. And so you're like, okay. Um, you know, so I do think that they did a good job of making you feel like a detective. I mean, sometimes too good of a job of making you feel like a detective, right? Um, but... It's one of those games that I think as a GM, you need to understand that your players will get stuck mm. sometimes. So they're gonna get what stuck. kind of, yeah, they're going to get stuck. So what kind of hints, what kind of clues, what kind of verbal cues can you give them to unstick them? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and, and there was a couple of times you're like, boy, that mirror sure cracked over there yeah. where Ooh. something hit it, you know, like. Yeah. Or like <laughs> when I was having the bartender, it, you know? the bartender was like, well, I'm I'm not sure who was in the bar, but maybe if you show me a mug shot, I might be able to identify someone. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, I'm like pointing on the table, like show him that picture. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know, it's funny because as the night went on, I actually think that we were getting better at um, kind of deducing you know, and, and falling into that role. So yep. it was good. Now, my thing is, is I'll be honest, by the end of the night, our table was littered with handouts. I mean, there were so many handouts that we had. It was just stacks and stacks of them. And um, so how was it for you prepping for this? Uh, It was the most effort I've ever had to put into prepping an RPG. Um, I had to know... I had to know what every handout was, what clue was in every handout, what clues triggered, what things triggered giving handouts, Mm -hmm. those handouts, and how they would tie to leading you to the next thing so that I could try to help you get what you needed out of there. I I mean, I've never had to put that much effort in. It was, like I said, I loved it because I love Blade Runner. Yeah. So I was geeking out over it, but it was... Hours and hours of prep work to understand yeah. this pre-written adventure. Whereas I'm the kind of you know seat of your pants GM, like 
I typically don't even like prep. Like I spend like 20 minutes prepping an RPG and I had to spend yeah. hours and hours like understanding all the connections, what you should get out of every clue and when I was supposed to give you that clue, when I could move the cheese, where I had freedom to move the cheese a little bit um, and where I didn't. Did you feel like you had freedom work. to Did you feel like you had freedom to move the cheese or was it pretty, pretty rote? Not, not as much as usual, but yes. I mean, it's not very combat heavy. Um, yeah. So I, I, I inserted some combat by moving kind of encounter some encounters were kind of specified. I moved them to areas where I felt like there was a little bit too much investigation going on. And I needed to break it up. Uh-huh. So there's a little bit of that and, and moving that encounter kind of moved um, a person a little bit, but not as much freedom uh, for sure. But that, that's because everything had kind of very strict links. Uh, it was a pre-written yeah. campaign. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, all in all, I liked it. I will say this, that um, just knowing the prep that you had to go through that, I don't know how I could string together a campaign for that. You know what I mean? And a, a lot of it is because mm-hmm. the amount of work that you have to do to put into the clues, the amount of work that you have to do to have connections and, and handouts and all of those things, it's a like that's a lot of work. I don't know how you homebrew this that well. And so, and because there's not a lot of adventures out, in fact, they just came out with their second case file um, just recently, um, actually last week. I just don't know, other than the case files that you play, like how much, like how, yeah. how you would, how you would write some yourself. Like you'd have to be super dedicated and take a lot of time. There's a precedent that has been set. Uh, Free League makes good, good content, good material. And this first um, case file has had so much uh, material to give out that now there's a precedent of what you would expect with Blade Runner. Um, right. You don't have to have props. <coughs> I'm going to have to get a cough drop here in a second. You don't have to have props, but um, I think there's now an expectation that you will when you play this game with the kind of quality and content that they put out. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, it's a little bit different than, um, say, like the uh, one ring. <laughs> I'm gonna grab a cough drop real quick. Yeah, no worries. It's like I like I was saying, it's a little bit different than the um, one ring supplements that they've been um, publishing, where you've got these, um, like uh, I, I know John Tross ran the one ring campaign, and he used the area door um, book that basically gives a location with some plot hooks some things that could go on there, some, you know, different things and not a lot. So you can have this book and do it, but I just don't, I don't know that Blade Runner is going to be able to move that direction in the future. So um, it'll be interesting. I'm curious to see how it is. I uh, enjoyed, I will say this thematically nailed it, right? Like, I mean, thematically, like super well, super well done. So good. So good. And, um, like, uh, the, the quality of the products again, nailed it, crushed it. Right. Um, I will say the RPG that they were going for, which was a very investigative heavy RPG, they nailed it. I think they did a great job. Uh, I just don't know that from the average, the average consumer is going to want to play this very often because I don't think that it, um, I think you have to be in the mood for being a detective. Like literally you need, you need to want to play CSI art, the RPG, and this is the game for you. 
right? So if whereas like with D and D and even Cthulhu to a certain extent, you can have different flavors of it, like on a spectrum. This mm -hmm. one spectrum is very very narrow, in my opinion. Yeah, and so. and there's another because you could do whatever you wanted with the system, right? Yeah. The thing is that this was built for you to <coughs> take advantage of like the LAPD resources. Right. So you're spending a lot of your resources accessing like crime units mm -hmm. um, and labs. And so the mechanics of the system are built for you to take advantage of that kind of stuff. So it, it takes yeah. a lot of the of uh, your focus when you're playing the game is to take is to do detective work. Yeah. So yeah, it's that kind of a system. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, let's move to Thursday. Um, I'll kick it off on Thursday. So uh let's see. I first I wanted to give a quick honorable mention. Um Thursday night, uh we played uh Paul Fricker's uh Full Fathom Five, which was the Cthulhu game. And um and I was a little nervous going into this game just because so I was running the game. I picked it up because it's it's actually one of the best selling um, RPGs on or uh, contents on the Miskatonic repository, which is like the community generated um, site for uh, Chaosium, right? So like if if you and I wanted to create a Cthulhu product, we would put it on the Miskatonic repository where you could get it. And that separates it from like official Chaosium products with fan, fan and community con created stuff, right? Um, doesn't mean that there's bad things on there. To the contrary, there's some really amazing things on the Miskatonic repository. And um, so Paul, who we had on the show two weeks ago, like he he had written this and I was excited to run it. Um, I was a little nervous, like I said, going into it because it wasn't your traditional Cthulhu game. And Jason, maybe you can talk about this a little bit, but um, it was a little bit different than you run into a problem, you go research it at the library or some, you know, genealogy society or something like that, which leads you to another thing, which leads the, you to the crap hitting the fan. And then you got to deal with like a portal and a demon coming out or something like that. Right. Um, that's how a lot of Cthulhu scenarios are. Um, and this one was a little bit different because it took place on a whaling boat in the, like the mid 1800s. And um, it was really kind of written off of, um, you know, Moby Dick and Captain Ahab, like tr chasing after a white whale, except this time the captain's chasing after, um, you know, the temple of uh, Relia, where, you know, he is, uh, uh, Cthulhu is residing. So, um Jason, like, what did you, like, so my, my issue was is that um, because it was sort of such an enclosed setting on the ship, um, they had this setup where the GM, it was it was a little railroady in a sense, um, because, it's like, you're just getting from point A to point B. It was very much about telling a story rather than an open sandbox. But did that work for you, like, in terms of a scenario for, like, a one-shot type of thing? I think for one-shot it was fine. <clears throat> yeah. Um it's you know it railroading is not bad if it's a fun story mm -hmm. and this was a fun story along yeah. the way. Um 
it was 100 railroaded though uh i mean you can't can't avoid that yeah. uh, but it was it was fun to ride the train right um so i think that was good you know there was a lot of death there was a lot of gory death there was a lot of um you know uh going going mad going insane role play opportunities to role play that so mm -hmm. that it was fun <laughs> i i enjoyed the whole thing yeah um at one point early on when you kind of start to realize that you're getting railroaded you just have to realize hey let's just let's just be long for the ride and i think yeah. everybody in the room was so it was a good time yeah we had uh you were the only one that had played a cthulhu scenario before and so I think that the other guys um, were basically just like, yeah, sure, let's do this thing. You know what I mean? And they didn't know what they were in for. And like you, I think you knew better than they did that you were starting to get railroaded because I think they still had a glimmer of hope that the characters were not going to die. You know? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> You're like, no. well, one, we're playing Cthulhu. Two, Justin's GMing us. And yeah. three, he's got that gleam in his eye. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like what? Yeah. You know, the first guy who died was looking out over the ocean and he thought he saw his mom or something in the water yeah. talking to him. Yeah. And then the next day, you told me that I was looking out in the ocean. I was like, nope, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. You were like, and you hear a voice. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I run down below decks. You know, I was like, I know where this is going. Yeah, yeah. But it was, uh, I thought it, I thought it was a lot of fun. And like, uh, you know, like you said, we had some pretty like um, intense deaths that had happened. Yeah. And, you know, some, some people yeah. thinking they're it's seeing tough. things and going crazy. And, um. You know, there's like there was a scene in there. There was like a nice, cool dream sequence where like people were dreaming something was happening. They wake up and they realize that nothing had happened. Yeah. You know, and well, and, no, something, something had happened. happened. Something had happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, Paul, it was a great scenario. I had a lot of fun running it, um, and I, and and you guys seem to have a lot of fun playing it. And so, I think uh, overall, it was very successful. We, we had a good time. Yeah. We had a good time. So let me talk about, um, I'm going to talk about Birmingham, uh, Brass Birmingham, the game. Mm. And uh, I know, Jason, you probably need to grab a drink of water, you know. Yeah, I'm going to grab a drink of water real quick. Yeah, grab a drink of water. I'll start talking about the game. So um, on Friday morning, and we'll get back to the Thursday games, but on Friday morning, I had the opportunity to play a great board game. Uh, with uh, Lincoln Tidwell and my brother Burton. And it was um, called Brass Birmingham. And if you have heard of it, it's because um, it, it's like all the rage on uh, Board Game Geek. In fact, let me share this um, screen with you real quick. Um, right here, it's rated 8.6 on Board Game Geek. Uh, it's two to four players. It says it plays in 60 to 100 minutes. I don't understand. Like maybe if you had two players, 16 minutes is about right. It took us, um, uh, I don't know, about two, two and a half hours to play. It took us a little while to set up and, and you know, get the rules explained to us because it was the first time that we'd played it. But uh, this is an amazing game. Like it is an amazing game. I can't recommend it enough to people um it uh is a worker placement style game let me see if i can pull up like one of these pictures to kind of show like what happens here okay so it's a worker placement game 
but really what you're trying to do is make connections between different cities and, and, and villages that are producing things and then sell it to market. Right. So um, you have resources that you can generate. And like right here would be a manufacturing, you know, like this would be like a manufacturing area. Um, here you got textiles. You can produce um, uh, iron here. You can produce coal here. And then you've got these canals and, and, and railroad lines, right, that connect all of these things. So it's about managing. Um, kind of, it's kind of a deck building thing, but not really that much. Um, you, you have to use cards in your hand to be able to build there. So like if I had the Birmingham card, then I could build anything on here that I want to. And then you, you, you'd need resources to do that. Um, include like coal and iron and things like that. They've got a lot of great mechanics here so that like you don't get totally stuck. For example, there's tons of coal and iron over here that if you really desperately need it, you can buy from the market at any time to help you, you know, pay. It just costs you extra money. Um, and then if you build something, like if I built this coal place here and I was connected to a market, I could sell, sell excess coal back to the market. So I might be able to recoup some of the money that I paid to build the coal factory as well. So it's a, it's a, it's a really good give and take a lot of great mechanics. I loved it. Uh, like I really want to get this game because it wasn't super complex. The rules were very intuitive. Like uh, we didn't open up the rule book once Lincoln was able to explain to us like how the things worked, but we never got to a scenario where like, well, huh, that's kind of weird. Like, what does the rules say about that? You know what I mean? Like, we've all played one of those games where even though we played it a million times, you get stuck on a rule. Zombie side was like this, right? Where you would be like, well, can we, if we open a door, does it do this? Or if we do that, can we do this? And we had to look, look up a bunch of times. I never felt that way with this game. So I, you know, even though, and Lincoln gave us very basic explanation of how it worked. So the rules themselves were just very intuitive. The gameplay was very intuitive. Like I just knew what to do to play this game, but that what it did is it allowed the strategy to be complicated. And that's the, that's, I think the hallmark of a really, really great game. Um, and you'll see that uh, they, uh, let's see, let me go back a picture. You'll see that they, they rated it a weight of 3.89 out of five. Right which um, is like medium heavy. I I think that it's only that heavy because there's strategy, like there's some really like good strategy involved. The actual gameplay, I think is like a two. You know what I mean? Like it's not a hard gameplay. And once mm -hmm. you figure it out, it's, it's easy to go. In fact, it was interesting because there's two phases. There's the canal phase and then the railroad phase. And the canal phase is kind of like the first phase, yeah, phase of the game. And then we switch to the railroad phase, which is basically the same game all over again. It just costs more to do things. And um, by the we got, time we got to the railroad phase, we finished that phase in like half an hour mm. compared to like an hour of the canal phase before, mm. even though we had all the same amount of actions. It's just because we picked it up and we knew what to do so much, so much better. And uh, when we, when we ended Lincoln had won by one point and Burton was behind me by like nine points. Like the, the spread was really close. So everybody was in it all through, all through the end. It was a, it was a very, very good game. So can't recommend it enough. Uh, I would love to play this again. Yeah.
really good stuff. So check it out. It's called Brass Birmingham. Uh, very, very well-designed game. You can see that it's right here. It's gone down because some of these other ones have come up. I think it belongs up higher because it was just so good. So good. One of the best one of the best board games I have played in a very, very long time. So very cool. Yeah, very, very happy with it. Very happy with it. Jason, what did you play on Thursday? <clears throat> on Thursday. Uh Thursday we I played about... Zombie Side. Oh yeah. We played Zombie Side uh, Green Horn. Which uh, which is fun. Zombie Side's a fun game, right? Um, good co-op game. Yeah. You can start to feel like you're getting overwhelmed pretty quickly. Um, yep. I will say that this game became the yes/no game. <laughs> meaning that's kind of the joke after a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's the yes/no game. Meaning every time somebody will go to do something and be like, "No, you can't do that." Oh, wait. Yes, you can do that. Or no. Yes. No, no, yes. And it was just like that the entire time we played the game. It was no, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, <clears throat> this is one, this is a game where your the gameplay is very much determined by how the deck was shuffled. Yeah. Uh, when we played, when we played one of the chapters, we played the intro chapter, which I'd actually played before. And it was good, you know, it was a good kind of learn the ropes. And then yeah. we accidentally skipped to like chapter four. Right. Or three, chapter three. And um, just the way that we had shuffled the deck, they're like, the first time we drew, there was no way we could win. I mean, right. we had to spread out and scatter and grab all these objectives for anyone that's played zombie side, right? You kind of have to just run up to these objectives to flip them over and hope that you flip the right one. If not, you got to go find the other one that's the right one. And they're randomly placed, kind of shuffled and placed in the deck. But the spawn deck, um, we spawned when you when sorry when you start the game, you start with like we'll say like damage one weapons, except for mm -hmm. one one person, damage one. And zombies, you have to do the exact or more damage that that zombie can take. So there are some zombies in the game that take damage two to kill, but only one yeah. of you has a damage two at the beginning of the game. So you have to go search. You have to go search for items and stuff right. just to get level two weapons so that you can take them on. Well, when we were playing this one mission, it starts where you, you got to run down this hallway just to spread out to the rest of the map. And you run down the hallway, there's a spawn point right at the very end of the hallway. And the first card we drew was the level three abomination. Yep. No one has weapons to kill this guy. And he can one shot in the game for you. Yeah. No one has weapons. So then we're, we're trying to scatter away from this thing. And we just, you just can't. And we couldn't get away. We couldn't, you could never get ahead enough to be able to search to try to find weapons. <laughs> and then all the other cards that we were pulling after him were fatties. Which were two. Yeah. So none of us had two. So now we're just getting bombarded on either side with zombies that can one shot us, and there's no way for us to kill them. There was yeah. just, it was an example of a fun game that can be impossible to beat just on how you shuffle, how you right. shuffle the deck. Yeah. And so we yeah. restacked that one pretty quick. Right. Yeah. 
And then I think even the second time we played that mission, uh, it was the same thing. We we tried to take a different technique where we went and opened a room that was near us to try to do an early search. We opened that room, and what did we spawn? The abomination. The with, abomination. With now he's even closer to us at the spawn yeah, with point. With a necromancer. <laughs> with a necromancer. So it's like, yeah. it was kind of like, oh, okay, and we tried that for a little bit. <clears throat> And then uh, I think we tried it a third time, failed, and we were like, okay, well, at that point, you know, we'd played the game four times and won one and lost three, uh, but had a fun time doing it. So I like Zombie Side. There's there's so many different versions of it now. Yeah. There's like the The original, the Green Horror, the Black Plague. There's, I don't know, another one. Yeah. There's like a lot of modern ones. There's like a yeah. Ghostbusters pack now. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, and um, because uh, Simon, right? Yep. Simon, they also used to put out weekly um, missions. Yeah, they still do. I think. Do they? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of replayability in this game. It's a good. Um, it, one one thing I saw is Simon just came out with a Kickstarter for whoever's interested. It's called Deceased. Um, so it's like DC comics, right? And then the rest of it is East, you know, like DC East, right? Um, and so they, um, it's basically like uh, DC superheroes versus the zombie horde. So it uh, looks, looks interesting. So it's a Kickstarter right now if you're interested in checking it out. I'm sure they've got some pretty fun mechanics in there and, and all that stuff. It'll be zombie side with superheroes which could be a lot of fun yep so yeah very cool very cool all right what was your uh what was your game on friday that you enjoyed playing um i actually don't remember when i played these games but the the next one that i played that i enjoyed was one that i got off of um <clears throat> got off of a uh, miniature market um uh sale the one of the sales okay. there which was fun so um you know, let me share my screen if you can accept that real quick. Oh, yeah, for sure. This was uh, Deep State. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I got this game for like 10, 10 bucks. <clears throat> Might have been 10 or 15 bucks. I don't remember. It was super big sale. And it's a fun game. It's got a lot of um, really fun art. It's got that kind of like comic book uh, uh, feel to it. Um mm-hmm. But uh, the general, it's a worker placement game at its heart. <clears throat> and you are placing um, your guys, they're se- kind of like secret agents <clears throat> or shadow government kind of things, right? And you're putting your worker placements on these objectives to try to take them. And by taking those objectives, you place them in front of you and you get certain symbols, um, symbols that are kind of on the cards. Um and that lets you go after some of these larger um, projects, domination projects, world domination projects. So you're sending your secret agents kind of out there to get some objectives out there. And they're like government objectives. They're like, you know, uh, 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 science objectives, um, uh, order and when you get the right amount, you can then go put more agents on the. You can start to make progress on these domination projects up top. Mm. Um, and uh, let's see if I can get another picture of the. Yeah, there's there's one. So actually, let me find a different one. Or I'll go back and just do that one again. So um, you kind of put one of your little meeples on here, 
And when you do, it takes one meeple that you put on there, and then you have to kind of pay these resources. And then you can keep moving from this one to this one, this one to this one, and so on. And as you get to the later ones, they're worth victory points. Um, but they also do things for you. Like this one lets you um, draw to, um, I think those are called objectives. Uh, or no, those are called uh, treaties. Draw two treaty cards, and you can put one in play without having to pay its cost. So you get kind of these bonuses as you move on with the theme with the theme showing up that your your basically your shadow government is kind of or your puppet government whatever is kind of starting to have a major influence on the world um there uh so it's it's a i think it's a i think it's a five player game it might only be four players um but uh it plays really fast it's one of those games where um there's a there are several things you can do, but you can kind of only do a very small amount on your turn, and then the turns flip around really fast. So as you're putting your guys on those objective cards and you're getting them, you're placing them in front of you like this one, right? You're placing them in front of you and you're getting these little trade symbols, and those trade symbols will let you go after the planet domination uh, projects. Really easy to play. When we, It's one of those games where like when I was reading the rule book, we were reading the rule book, trying to figure out how to play. It was like, we were like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on in this rule book. And then once we played one round, we were like, oh, you know, it's like, there's, there's like two things you can do. And, and it takes like 20 seconds to do it each. Uh, yeah. So fun game. You can see the artwork on the cards, right? It's super, super cool artwork. Uh, I mean, it all feels like that, the whole thing. And it feels like you're doing shadow. It even has a good theme. It feels like you are really this kind of shadow government thing that's kind of trying to take over. Uh, there plays fast. I think we played it in like um, we probably played it in an hour, okay. uh, maybe a little over an hour, which included learning the rules. So if we knew the rules, we could probably play the game in like he could probably play the game in like thirty to forty minutes. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, really, really good and and, and really fun. Uh, <clears throat> like I said, I got on a miniature market for like I think ten bucks. So uh, and who it was doesn't, who doesn't like a good Illuminati token? Right, exactly. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah so, so right now, um, on miniature market, it's going for thirty-two dollars. Oh, right? so it's back it's, up. Yeah, it's at it's it's typical discount right now. There is a an expansion for twenty dollars called the Global Conspiracy Expansion. Um, but this is one of those things that if you're interested in this game, um put a watch on a, a miniature market because I guarantee you, like if it's dipped down to that price before it'll do it again sometime in the future mm -hmm. or get close to it. Like if it's at 32, I wouldn't be surprised if you see it for 15, like maybe yep. just before, just after Christmas, you know? So keep an eye on it because you may, you may see it um, for that. So, yep. Yeah. That was a fun game. Cool. I enjoyed that one. Very, very cool. Um, so on Friday, I ran, um, I'm going to share my screen here. I ran Pendragon. Um, I had gotten a review copy of the Pendragon starter set from Chaosium. And I think that we'll do a broader show review on this topic on, on, on Pendragon because it was a really interesting thing. It's a different kind of RPG, um, than I was used to running. It's a roll under D20, right? So a lot of your stats are like eight or 10 or something like that. You got to roll under it to be successful with your D20. Um, it uh, has a lot of really interesting things. Let me just pull up a, a, a picture here. 
Um, I'll zoom in on this real quick. This is um, uh, like a, a, a picture of the folio that comes in the starter set, which is basically your character, right? And um, there's a lot of great things that happen with it. Uh, you've got your, you know, your characteristics over here. That includes like your weapon stats and stuff like that. You've got, you know, your your um, your skills and battle skills that you can do. So, I mean, if you're thinking like D and D or even Call of Cthulhu, these are like your perception checks, your you know, sleight of hand style stuff, right? But more night, more night focused. And then you've got an interesting system over here with traits. And I think that this is really what gives it its unique nightly feel because the whole point of Pendragon is that you are part of King Arthur's court, right? You're one of the knights of the round table. And so you're out there doing knightly deeds and you're out there like being chivalrous knights. Like it's all about honor and glory for you, right? And what I really like about this system is that I think the RPG world for a while really liked getting into kind of the gray space, you know, like, is my character good? Is he bad? Is he a little in between? You know, like, is he kind of the anti-hero type of thing? This system, you're here to play a knight in shining armor, literally, you know, I mean, you're the good guy. You're supposed to be the good guy out here and you're supposed to be doing good things and be heroic and do do amazing nightly things that like, uh, you know, the peasants just can barely comprehend because you're an amazing knight, you know? And so it's um, high fantasy, low magic, right? The magic that does exist in here is like more um, tricks and kind of parlor tricks type of thing, right? Uh, I I will say that, uh, you know, this is a night, um, this is like... Um, uh, King Arthur's Court, but if you wanted to steal these mechanics and run a Game of Thrones RPG, it would be amazing. Like, it would be amazing to do that, because you could run bad characters, bad knights with this same thing. You just kind of flip it, right? So, um, but it's that kind of world where it's like, there exists some magic, but it's kind of low-level, almost folklore style magic. Uh, and not like your sorcerers or wizards or anything like that. Like Merlin's in there, and our players asked him one time, like, "Hey, can you heal me?" And I told him several times, "I'm not that kind of, I'm not that kind of wizard." You know what I mean? And uh, they'd be like, "Hey, can you do this?" He's like, "I'm not that kind of wizard." You know, like, and he was like, "Merlin's really just about, you know, using his. Uh, he's like a druid, right? So he's got some kind of nature magic, but." He was more about political manipulation than anything, you know? So that's the kind of wizard he was, you know? So um, anyway, we had a great time. It took me a little bit to kind of really get into the flow of it. And in fact, I do think that I need to look at some of the reviews on how to run like a big battle because um, unfortunately in the starter guide, I think it, it was written with the you having the core rule book in your hand as well. So there were some things in there where even the quick start rule, rules guide that comes in the starter set um, didn't answer some of the questions that were needed in some of the other portfolios on how to like run a big battle. So uh, I got to a point where I'm like, um, I uh, I'm not running this very well. So we just kind of went off the went off the trail and I had them go do some other stuff, which they really enjoyed doing. I had them meet a lady in the lake. I had them meet, you know, I had them go after some, you know, 
Highland picks and uh, recover a sword that they had let get stolen. So we had a good time with it. Uh, really fun time. Combat in this is brutal. Brutal. Um, the thing I love about it is there's no initiative in this game. Like, you don't roll initiative. You just kind of do things. And when people fight hand-to-hand, it's an opposed melee attack. So both players will roll attack rolls at the same time. And the person that wins does the damage, right? Unless it's tied, then they both do the damage. So mm. it can get really swingy either way, depending so, on how well you do it. Yeah, so question. So if there's no initiative, how do you determine who's attacking who? Um, the players do. So the players say, like, I'm going to go attack this guy. But the thing is, is both that guy and the player will roll. Okay, so there's, so the players always determine who's going to face an enemy. Yeah, unless, like, I mean, at one point I had some picks sneaking in on them. So, I, I mean, I said, this guy's up in your face right now. Do you know what I mean? Okay. And so, that the story really drove, like, them, like, the enemy getting into it, which gotcha. was really cool because it didn't slow down the story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It really felt mm-hmm. like the combat was integrated with the story. Like, I didn't, like, okay, everybody, hold on. Everybody roll initiative. Let me take your numbers. Okay, you three mm-hmm. get to go, and then these two guys get to go, and you get to go, and then these three guys get to go. Like we didn't have to do any of that. It's just like, are right, you're fighting this guy? Okay, roll. Oh, you won. Sweet, do your damage. Oh my gosh, you killed him. Oh, the mm-hmm. other guy rolled. Oh, you missed that one. He's gonna destroy you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so um, it was a lot of good stuff. A lot of lot of fun stuff. So we'll do a deeper dive on this. Um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go too deep into this okay, because yeah. there's a lot of good things in here um, that we can talk about. And the starter set itself was just a quality one from Chaosium. But um, I just wanted to say that I, I got to run it, and I had a, I had a really fun time with this. I think this is a, this would be a great one to do like a three to five shot with, right? Like an actual like little campaign, and you would just have a real, real good time running it. So. Check it out. It's on Chaosium. Um, and yeah, it's uh, I think the starter set is $30 and it's an amazing value for it. So totally, totally check it out. All right, Jason, you got another game for us? Yeah, so I had a, a couple fun games. I was trying to figure out which one I wanted to mention. Um, but uh, I guess I'll go ahead and mention, you know, I ran hell night which was fun i really enjoyed wanted to run that for a while now that's that you know indie indie rpg based off of um you know you being a um uh, a group of uh actual knights from hell that were sent out of hell to go uh bring back the rogue archon demons back to hell so they can fulfill their duties to guard their circles uh, to restore the balance before heaven storms your gates. So it, um, so you're playing a bad guy, kind of, kind of a bad guy, but you're out yeah. to defeat the bad guys and bring them back. So right. it's it, it's a little bit of a fun setting. Uh, it's absolutely like an '80s metal '80s metal setting too. Like think yeah. think of like the cartoon heavy metal. <clears throat> yep. You know, like. It's that kind of a feel of a game, <clears throat> and and uh, you know I I would say even though our session was very brutal, I tuned it down a bit because I think our group was not super 
super heavy metal-ish. <laughs> right. Um, you know, 80s, 80s heavy metal, like um, but um, but it was, and I don't I mean like uh yeah, it um it was a lot of fun. Um my voice, this was like the high point of my voice dying. So yeah. I was like a super octave low. My voice was cracking, like you could almost hear my throat bleeding in the back. And we're playing this like 80s, like demon, like metal game. And it was just, I don't know, it, it seemed like it was appropriate <laughs> at the time. <laughs> right. But yeah. uh I um I had a lot of fun with it. Super, super simple system. It is yeah, it is absolutely focused on um on uh just telling a fun story in that type of a, in the roaring 80s uh and not getting hung up on well what equipment do i have mm -hmm. and what kind of bonus does that give me in this scenario it's no just like let's just go have fun and wreak havoc and like you know and and have a good time doing it uh it's the whole game is played when you're rolling up your character you can use i think a d12 here and there but um, just so you get one through 12, but the yeah. whole game is played with 2d6. Uh, so you're rolling 2d6. You're trying to roll under your stat, but as high up as high under your stat as you can. So like your stat is a seven. Um, if you're like style is a seven and you want to do something crazy, awesome on your bike, you roll 2d6 and you're trying to roll under a seven. Yeah. Anything an eight or over is a critical um, so that means you can really only do criticals if you're really good at a specific stat, right? So the stats are, are a grit brains and style. That's it, mm -hmm. you know, and whatever you want to do, just kind of justify it being under one of those. So some people had like a, like a, a, a 10 in their yeah. style. So they could roll, they had the potential to roll an eight or a nine or a 10, right? So they could get a crit three potential yeah. Uh, with three potential numbers on 2d6 but other people had like a five in brain so like they're never going to crit with brains they're just not good enough uh, and it's going to be really hard for them to succeed uh it's a fail forward game that's all my games are right so even though you fail you're still progressing a little bit yeah. and uh super because it's so simple rules wise it's super easy to improv and so i we actually improv the whole night i had like we went to dinner like right before to like five guys and while yeah. I'm eating my burger, I'm like, I, I'm like coming up with this idea of what we could do for the game. And then that's what we, we just ran with it the whole night. It seemed like everyone. Had nice. time. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny because this is one of those games where, you know, you, part of the RPG experience is rolling up your character and literally rolling it up. Right. Which is roll it and see what kind of fun stuff you do. Mothership is a great you know, example of this too, where you just roll it up and, and you have a good time um, doing it because like it, what it does is it keeps you from choosing like the typical, like, Oh, I want to play a warrior this time, or I want to play a magician or whatever it is. You just kind of get what you get and then you just go with it. And in fact, I had this whole idea of being like this, like really cool Hellboy style, like hell Knight, you know, and I ended up being basically like the team mom, you know, like I ended up rolling this trait that I could bake anything out of um, or make anything edible out of anything biological, 
you know, and another dude rolled up on his bike. He had a little oven inside of it, like a pizza yeah. oven style thing, you know? And so like, I was like, Oh great. I'm just going to be team mom. And I like bake some treats, you know, out of this roadkill for like the high school prom that we had like burst in on, you know? And I was, yeah. I was like, kind of human, human, human appendages. That's right. I, I may have taken a human leg and made dumplings out of it. You know, that I fed to the kids. I mean, I am a demon after all. Right. Um, and, but you know, it's like I went in and be like, "Hey, can I talk to the head of the PTA?" You know what I mean? Like, just kind of like, and I and I gave like a disapproving look at one point, right? Like from a mom that ended up like rotting this dude away, you know. So it was. I mean, I did not go into that game expecting to play that character, but that's the one I got, and that's the one I just kind of rolled with, right? Yeah. Um, and I think I think what's interesting is that. We're bad guys, but we're trying to do good things, right? Mm -hmm. And so the dichotomy there is kind of interesting, and it manifested itself at one point where in the scenario there was a whole bunch of kids that had been locked up, and it was clear that they were going to be used for some sort of ritual, right? And so the right thing to do, the moral thing to do was let these kids go, right? Now, I wanted to let the kids go not because that was the right thing to do. I'm a demon after all. I don't care. Yeah. I didn't want those kids there so that the ritual would go through yep. and cause this other thing to become much more powerful, right? Like, so I ended up doing the right thing for the, I guess, the wrong reasons. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that kind of sums up the morality of like the characters in this RPG. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was, it was fun. You know, it started with a nice hell ride out of hell, right out of hell on your, on your uh, your hell rides, which are basically monsters themselves, right? Like you know, <clears throat> think of like a Harley hog, but that's living, breathing carnivore, carnivorous monster that you're riding on top of, right? Riding out of hell, riding through into some small town in the middle of nowhere, and then that had a high school prom that was going wrong, and then finding your way into like the you know the basement of an abandoned hospital where there's a vampire living there that's basically consuming the kids and all the yeah. other stuff. So it was, a, it was a fun 80s, you know, horror movie ride, I think. Yeah, totally, totally. Yep. Uh, it's a game that I would love to play again. I don't know how often I would love to play it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's I, like I Mothership. I mean, I love Mothership, but I would not want to play Mothership, like, as my main RPG all year. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it would ruin the flavor for me. Do you know what I mean? Like you get tired mm -hmm. of it. So yep. um, I think it I, th I think it's a lot of fun though. A uh, ton of fun. Um I let's see. The next game that I want to talk about, let me see if I can pull it up. Um, it was called Dead Reckoning. Um the game. Here it is. We'll pull it up on board game geek here okay so this game um was a kickstarter that had come out and the only way to get it unfortunately was to be part of the kickstarter now i saw that you could get it for like 200 bucks on ebay or something like that with all the kickstarter stuff which actually i mean it sounds like a lot of money but like all the 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 production value of this game was very high um they had like nice metal tote they had metal coins they had a little ship that you used um, they have these little like pieces that you would put out that um, like buildings. And um, I guess uh, 
the guy who owns the game that we played, he printed out like these 3D chests that you had that you could keep like your money in and stuff like that. It was pretty good, but um, it was really interesting. So um, you're a pirate, and uh, let me see if I can pull up my uh, another thing because I want to show you like what the layout of the of the screen looked like or of the of the game looked like. Um, oh, hold on. Maybe I didn't have it actually pulled up. Ah, oh, shoot. Where did I have it? My brother brought this one, right? Yes. Um, okay, here we go. All right, here we go. Okay, so this is like the layout of the game. And this was this little guy here on my le on the left. This green board that was my ship board, okay. And these were my cards that I had, and these were my tokens. And this this circle thing right here represented my harbor, right. And here was my chest that had my money in it. Um, but this was this was really where the playable area was right here. You see up here is where the the four player harbors were at. Like so, this was my harbor that also corresponded to this right here. I could just keep stuff on this so I didn't have to keep reaching across the board, you know. Um, but you would start at your harbor and you could go venture out into the ocean and discover these islands, right? You see how some of these are flipped over? If you stopped there, you would discover the island and see what it was. And you could do a lot of different things at these islands. You could exert some influence. So basically you like land on the island and you say, okay, like this is ours. And if you have enough influence, you end up gaining what they call permanent control of it right um and so then you kind of like own the island and you can start producing resources there they get you money the whole goal is to get money at the end of the day right and you do that through trading stuff you do that through like you know getting economy on your islands and stuff like that um somebody could come in and let me zoom in because you can see it right here um you see how there's a blue one up here and there's a yellow one here or actually, this is a better example. You see how there's a purple uh, box right here, but there's a yellow one right here. Purple at one point had owned this island, but yellow had come in and exerted more influence than they did. So they get, a, they get to add their token, and they're now the ones that permanently control. Well, these little, to these little gold things right here, what you do is at the end, you count up how many you know people um, had controlled this island, and the one who had it the most gets, you know, the top coin value. The second gets a second value. Third gets a third value like that. So, you know, there's a whole give and take of these islands that you're just trying to wrestle control from different people. And then what you have here is on these islands, you can purchase these upgrades to your card. So you see my brother here, he had his gunner card. And what happens is, um, this is what he would get just from playing his card. A low, he'd get one barrel and he could use a cannon if he was attacking, right? And then he purchased this upgrade card that from, from one of these islands right here for the cost of, you see right here, it's like one barrel is an upgrade for this one. Um, but he purchased an upgrade and you get to put it in that card for the player. And so now he gets one influence for every cannon he has on the card. So he would get like uh, an extra influence that he could use to take over an island, basically, when he played this card. How does it stick so, to the card? 
Um, so it's really cool. They had these, um, it, it's basically in a sleeve and these are transparent. You can kind of see like with this guy right here, how it's transparent and you would oh, just yeah. drop it down into the sleeve and then it would uh, just kind of show up there. Yeah, and like so glue. each card had a top, a middle and a bottom. So you see like this one is a t uh, middle one right here. This one's a top. You can see mm -hmm. the little mm -hmm. little thing right there, right? And like I think one of these down here, like this one's a bottom. So you can only upgrade each card like three times, right? But the way that the way that the game worked was that I had it. We all had our own decks of cards, right? And it had like a captain, a bunch of crew, like uh, different different things that you different people. And it was the same deck for everybody. But you would shuffle them up. There's 12 cards in it, and you would draw four. At the beginning of your turn, when you drawed four, or when you drew four, so draw drew four, you got to choose one of those four cards and upgrade them. And basically, you would just like flip the card over, and it would have like extra things. So it went from a level one to a level two, or level two to level three, or level three to level four. And you could do that, um, you know just one time in that hand. And so like they give you extra bonuses and stuff like that. And at the top here, you have these achievements that happen, right? Like this one was like explore three tiles, you know, be the one to explore three tiles. This one was get like 12 barrels anywhere on the board or in your cargo or on, on your Harbor. This one was get 30 coins. This one was like build four times. Uh, build buildings like you can see right here here's a building that he built and like this is a fortress right here and it protected the island from um taking over influence like you would have to come destroy the fortress before mm. you could exert influence over it so you know but it cost a bunch of barrels to play and there was only one card in your in your hand of 12 that would let you build those types of buildings so you had to play it at the right time and all that stuff right so um building you know they had all these different achievements and basically the game ended when one person triggered four of these things everybody mm. got one more turn and then then you counted up your coins basically that you had um it was a lot of fun i didn't think i was gonna have as much fun with it as i did uh and you know there was a lot of different ways to win and a lot of different ways to to do things and so i never felt like um i was being corralled one way or another right that i didn't have options i will say at the end of the game there's a lot of fortresses on the islands and a lot of um there's cannons that will give give your ship damage and stuff like that so like you had to be careful about what way you were going through the ocean or else you would take too much damage and sink and so um you know there's a there's a lot of really cool ways to just play the game and uh, our friend Nick, who we met at the Nova Open, he ended up destroying us on this. Uh, you know, I thought I was doing pretty good, but he he crushed us all. He had a couple of turns where he got a lot of money, so um, he was he was really banging with it. So it was a lot of fun. I hope that they come out with retail with this. Um, I doubt though that when they do come out in retail, that you're going to get a lot of the. I bet these like barrels and things will be just little cardboard, cardboard tokens, you know. These little buildings will just be like little cardboard tokens that you put out. You know, I bet the I bet you'll get the ships as plastic, but all the other cool stuff like the 
like I told you, you could see the metal coins down in here. Like they're really good metal coins. Like I bet, I bet you don't get those, you know? So, um, so if you're really into those components, look for like someone selling it on eBay right now. Cause it just, a lot of them just got fulfilled. So I would, uh, I'd check it out. It was a lot of fun though. I really enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Any other game you want to mention, Jason? Um, I uh, played a lot. I mean, I played, you know, I played Moonrakers, which is always great when we've talked a lot about yeah. that. I played it with an expansion. I think I have like every expansion in that game. This is the first time I've ever played with one. And it was a great expansion that actually added to the gameplay, sped it up, didn't didn't really modify it. We've talked a little bit about expansions here and there, what makes a good expansion. And this is a good expansion. So that was fun. I also played Parks. I'd never played Parks before. Oh, I, yeah. I wanted to play that one. It's a very pretty game. Um, kind of a, it's another one of those walking simulator games, like the mm -hmm. Road to Takedo, right? Um, and uh, just kind of a calm, relaxing. It was nice to break the day up with that. Um, so, play a lot of games, a lot of fun people. You know, Gilcon is great. It's only about what do we have max? Like maybe twenty, 20. people one day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's in yeah. my basement, so only can be so big. But, um, you know, to have uh, just three, three and a half solid days of friends over playing games, doing something we like to do. So good times. Yeah, I agree. It was uh, great having everybody out, and we thank everybody for coming. And, you know, one of the great things is, like, we'll do, like, potluck lunches and, you know, just really just enjoy each other's, you know, company as we're having a sandwich. And the nice thing is we don't have to worry about, you know, oh crap, did I eat today? Or because, like, unfortunately, with with Gen Con, sometimes your schedule doesn't allow you to go grab something to eat for like eight straight hours, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on where you're going. But we're able to build in the breaks and and have that social time as well. Yeah. And it was just really good having everybody there and having a good time. And and uh, I don't know about you, but I I um, you know, went home Saturday, Sunday. I had church stuff I was doing, and I crashed so hard sunday night like i think i slept 11 and a half hours that night i went to bed at eight and i didn't get up till like 7 30 the next morning you know yeah. i was out i was so i was so dead you know yeah. but um but it was it was a lot of fun for sure yep. so um yeah so uh moved moved to northern virginia become our friends and uh yeah. you know come to GoCon, or just become our friends and just you can still come friends. Yeah. Because we had people, I think the furthest <laughs> one we had come out were, or there were three guys from Idaho. <laughs> Idaho, yeah. Yeah. We had Ohio. Do we have Ohio? Ohio. Yep. Yep. Ohio, uh, Idaho. We had multiple people from Idaho that didn't even know each other. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty. It was pretty good. We've had people from Nevada. I always have to pause when I say Nevada, Nevada to make sure I say it right. Yeah. Because I, I, right. I always say Apple. Nevada. Apple. Okay, yeah, Nevada. You have because I have uh, a friend from Nevada who says we have apples, not apples, at Nevada. That's so it's correct. not Nevada, it's Nevada. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, California wants to. So, it's fun. Yeah. It's good time. Yeah, yeah, and um, we had a lot of newer people here this year. 
Like your mm-hmm. brother came out, for example. Yep. He'd never been to a guild con. We had our friend Nick that came out yep. and had a good time with us, right? So like our, our circle is expanding and we enjoy everybody who comes out. So a lot of good times there. Um, we just really encourage everybody to, you know, ho- hopefully you can find something like this, right? Even if it's just like four or five of your best friends. That's how our guild con started out, what, like six years ago? Like when we did it, when it was Sean Con originally. Sean Con, yeah. You know, that we did in Sean's house, like, and there was literally like five of us playing. It was games like five or six day. people for three days, yeah. Yeah. You know, so we had a we had a great time doing that and it's kind of grown since. And um, you know, even our friends who may not be super keen on, you know, driving out to Indianapolis and getting hotels and all that stuff, like they love GuildCon because it's us and our friends just playing games. So hopefully you guys can uh, you know, find those friends out there that are doing that too and and just get the games that are sitting on your shelves that you want to play and, and have a good time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, um, but that's pretty much it for for us. We hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to try to put the links to all the games down below so that you guys can check them out because there's some really good ones out there. And, uh, of course, we'd love to hear, like, if you were at our GuildCon, what would you have loved to play? What's sitting on your shelf that's uh, that's out there that needs some, some gaming love? Let us know. And uh, otherwise... We will see you all later and see you at the tables. Have a good night, everybody.